0: Hello and welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. Whether you are a member of our church family, either in person or online, or just checking us out for the first time, we believe that you belong here at New Hope Church. And we hope that this message speaks to you today. Don't forget to check us out online at newhopechurch.tv. And we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Test, test, okay. Welcome everybody at our 288 campus, our Friendswood campus, our Alvin campus, Webster campus, and welcome to everybody who's at our Pearland campus right now, our volunteers, as they get ready for our grand opening. Uh, Date to be determined, all right, but uh, we're in week two of our series, Let Go Christmas. Uh, We're actually going to finish this series up on Christmas Eve, and today we're going to be in Matthew chapter two, if you want to join me there in your Bible or on your device. Uh, what we're doing in this series is simply this, we're getting our hearts ready for Christmas. We're getting our hearts ready. <clears throat> the, 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 the big picture would be that we're getting our hearts ready for whatever God wants to do in us. And uh, I want your heart to be ready, I want my heart to be ready, and, and uh, so in this series what we're doing is we're visiting three different places that were major players in the first Christmas and the Christmas story, but they missed it. They missed it, and and uh, we don't want to miss what God wants to do in our lives. And so uh, we're gonna we're gonna visit these places. We're gonna learn the lessons, and we're gonna let go of the things that we need to let go of, so that God can do what God wants to do in our hearts. Amen to that. Amen. So three places we're gonna visit: Rome, Jerusalem, and uh, Bethlehem. We visited Rome last week. We'll visit uh, Bethlehem on Christmas Eve. Hopefully, you can be here for that. Uh, but today we're gonna be in Jerusalem. Now. Jerusalem was an all-important place in the world back in the day. In fact, it still is. Uh, It's amazing that 2,000 years after Jesus was born, that Jerusalem still ends up in the news almost every single week. In biblical times, it was ground zero for many events, and uh, it was talked about in Bible prophecy in, in regards to the first advent or the first coming of the Messiah, Uh, But it's also talked about in the New Testament in regards to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And... um By the way, the first coming of Jesus, something that it's bad to miss. Second advent, second coming of Jesus, you don't want to miss that, right? You don't want to miss that. We want to be ready for that, even though we don't know when it's going to happen for sure. But in our text today, we see that this was a city in waiting for the first advent of the Messiah, the first coming of Christ. And uh, as we know now, that event happened only a little distance, a little, a few miles away from Jerusalem. In fact, uh, according to uh, Google Maps, here's Jerusalem, Temple Mount. Uh, You go about seven and a half miles to the south, and uh, you get to Bethlehem. And I have marked here uh, the Temple Mount, where the temple is or was at that time, and Temple Mount is still there. But then down here to the Church of the Nativity, seven and a half miles away, and If you don't know, the Church of the Nativity is a church that was built over the place where they believe that the the stable was. It's actually a cave, but they believe that that was the stable that was used by Mary and Joseph on the night that Jesus was born. And so they built this beautiful church over, which they do a lot in the Holy Land. They'll build a church over a spot which I, I think is, is helpful. Um, but they, they built this beautiful church over it, but the beauty of the church is not as interesting to me as the front door of the church. Here's the front door of that church. Um, it's a very small door. You can see it's always, it hasn't always been this way, but in the 1500s, they, they, they lowered the door. The, do, the door is very small now, and uh, you literally have to get low as you go through the door. Now, why in the world did they did this? Well, they call it the door of humility. The door of humility. You got to bow. You got to bow when you go through the door, but they didn't necessarily make it that low for that reason. The reason they made it this short is because back in the 1500s, they had issues with people riding their horses into the church. (laughs) And so, And so they built this door like this so that you would have to get off of your horse in order to come into church, which is a problem that um, some people think we still have in Texas, like people riding their horses in the (laughs) church. And I say that because I don't know if you you have any family or friends in other parts of the country, they think that everybody's a cowboy in Texas and we all wear cowboy hats and there's cactus everywhere and we ride our horses to church. Even though I am kind of dressed like a cowboy today, look at that. (laughs) Wow, oh, I do. I don't have boots on though. Everybody at the other campuses and online, not. Uh, but anyway, other churches in the Holy Land have these grand entrances. But in order to get into the church of the of the Nativity, listen to me. You got to get off your high horse so that you can come inside. And uh, so, uh, come back uh, Christmas Eve at all of our campuses. We're going to have doors that are about this tall, so that we can. <laughs> Just kidding about that. But uh, sounds like last week's sermon, you've got to get humble before God, right? Um, at any rate, that church, that spot is not far from Jerusalem. Not far at all. But Jerusalem missed the first Christmas. Now, why did they miss the first Christmas? Well, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a reason why I believe Jerusalem missed the first Christmas and then we're going we're gonna to go to the text, we're going to read in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to make sure that we don't make the same mistake as well, because I want you to have all that God wants you to have this Christmas. I don't want you to miss it, but we will miss it if we're holding on to something that God doesn't want us to hold on. We can't accept what God has for us if we're holding on to something. So today we're going to let go, all right? So the reason I believe that Jerusalem missed the first Christmas is because Jerusalem was all about control. Jerusalem at that time was all about control. Now, all of us at times struggle with wanting to have control of everything. And uh, by a show of hands at all of our campuses, how many of you would confess today that you maybe have a little issue with control? You like to be in control of things in your life, certain things, maybe not everything, but certain things. Okay, very good, thank you for confessing. How many of you, this is a test, how many of you are seated next to someone You already got your hands up. That's good. How many of you are seated next to someone who did not raise their hand, but you know they should have raised their hand? And listen to me, and you wanted to raise it for them. That may say more about you than it does about them, by the way. So all of us have some issues with control. Let me ask you this, do we have any backseat drivers in the house today, any backseat drivers in church? Like you feel like, I could be driving better than this person who's driving right now. And, and you have your imaginary pedal on your side of the car and you make noises at just the right time. You don't say anything, but you gasp and pat your heart. And let everybody know that uh, you could do a better job, okay? Do we have any uh, control freaks uh, when it comes to work? Anybody uh, at work like, I could do this better. I, could do, I have to do everything at work because nobody can do it as good as I can. I have to do everything. Okay. Everything has to be perfect. Uh, how about, how about uh, at the house? Uh, uh, let's just say in the kitchen, you're a control freak in the kitchen. Everything has to be your way in the kitchen. May, may, maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know. So I'm going to show you a picture. And if you're troubled by this picture, then it could be that you have control issues in the kitchen. (laughs) Is anybody troubled? Anybody troubled right now? Okay, so I'm just gonna leave this picture up for a moment. (laughs) Consider this free therapy in church today actually the this one hits close to home because once when my wife was not feeling well um i just told her why don't you just go to bed take your medicine in there with you i'll bring you whatever you need but i'll take care of the kids well it ended up going on for a few days where she was not feeling well and and uh so i started taking care of the kids and i started cooking and cleaning and doing everything everything including going to work and so i was taking care of all i could so I was overwhelmed, so I had to start looking for shortcuts. And so one of the shortcuts I found was that, you know, I would we we would fill up the dishwasher during the day. I would turn it on before I went to bed. In the morning, I would empty it. And one of the shortcuts that I found was I could just pull open the silverware drawer and take the silverware caddy out of the out of the dishwasher and just dump it in there and uh, shut it, and nobody would ever know except when you open the drawer and. How many of you think I'm the one that needs counseling, anybody? (laughs) Okay, so we're all a little bit crazy when it comes to control in certain areas of our lives, and and, uh, maybe we get greatly troubled when we feel like that control might be threatened, and even though stuff like this is just kind of fun to talk about, the truth is, uh, control is an issue that can actually hurt us spiritually if we don't watch out. In fact, having to always be in control can actually cause us to miss out on what God has for us. Uh, let, me, let me show you how this issue caused Jerusalem to miss out on that first Christmas 2,000 years ago. And again, we're going to read Matthew chapter 2, uh, read through the text. I'm going to do some background and some teaching as we go through the text, and uh, then we're going to Uh, do some application for our own lives, and then then here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that we will let go of what God wants us to let go of so that we can have all that God wants us to have today. That's what I want to have happen today in church. That'd be a good day in church, wouldn't it? To have all that God wants us to have. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to save discussion about the wise men for Christmas Eve, but I will say they showed up in Jerusalem and they went straight to the king's palace. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That's what the wise men are asking. Where is he who's been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So here we have verse 2 of Matthew chapter 2. Good news. Good news. The Messiah has arrived. Emmanuel, God with us as Isaiah uh, called him. He's come to save us, to redeem us. He's come to connect us with God the Father. This, my friends, is a big, big day. Jesus has arrived. They didn't know him by the name of Jesus at that moment, but Jesus has arrived. This is, a, this is good news of great joy that, uh, according to the angel who was speaking to the shepherds, good news of great joy this shall be for all people. This is a good day. But is Herod happy about this news? Answer in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So he was troubled by the news. So why is he troubled? Well, that's a question that's pretty easily answered when you realize who King Herod is. Here's some background. King Herod uh, came from a well-connected political family. He became governor of uh, Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel, when he was only 25 years old, which is young. But it was really young back in the day, so it was kind of unusual. Uh, The Romans needed someone to control the Jewish people, so... They chose Herod to be the king because he was tough and he was cruel. And since he ruled Jewish people, those were his constituents, his subjects, since he was king over them. In 40 BC, they gave him the title, King of the Jews. King of the Jews, which might be why when the wise men asked the question, back one verse... Where is he who's born king of the Jews? That question didn't sit well with Herod. I mean, this is a guy who was a killer with the crown. Keeping power was all that mattered to him. Human life meant nothing. He even had members of his own family put to death when he felt like they were potential threats to his throne. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed two of his own sons. He killed his own wife, anyone that he considered a threat to his kingdom, a threat to his throne, competition to his control, he killed. In fact, shortly after this visit right here in Matthew chapter 2, he had all of the babies in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas, all the babies two years of age and younger, put to death because he feared that there was gonna be someone who would take his throne away. However, even though he was a killer with the crown, he was also very clever. Um, A couple of examples, during tough economic times, uh, Herod would take tax money that had been paid in by the people and turn it around and give it away. Sound familiar? Just preaching. I'm just preaching. (laughs) During the famine in 25 BC, he had objects of gold that were made of gold in his palace melted down and sold in order to buy food for the poor. And all this sounds good, but really it was just to keep his most prized possession, which was control. Now he was called Herod the Great, not because he was a great man but because he was a great builder and a great builder he was. He built seven palaces, seven theaters. Uh, One of those theaters seated over 9,000 people. He built sports venues, some of them massive in scale. He built Caesarea by the sea, which even to this day, even though it's all ruins, is a magical place to visit. He built Masada, If you don't know about Masada, go Google it. You'll be amazed. It is an absolutely breathtaking place to visit, even to this day. And I could keep on going with these archaeological finds that uh, Herod gets credit for. But we're going to cut to the chase here and, and, and end this list of building projects with this one. The one that became the centerpiece of all of Jerusalem, the crown jewel. One that was recognized as one of the wonders of the ancient world. It took him 46 years to build. 46 years to build. In fact, it wasn't completed until after his death. Started it in about 20 B.C. But I'm talking about the temple. The temple in Jerusalem. The temple was ground zero for the power of the religious elite in Jerusalem. And by the way, I want to show you something. This is something one of our volunteers made for us. And uh, it's pretty incredible. See that? Yeah, so... Jen Moeller made this. Jen Moeller, give Jen a hand. She she made this. <laughs> so I was like, I, I would like to have like a scale model of the temple. You know, this is, if somebody could put that together. And so she made this, um, which is pretty incredible, but uh, just a, a little brief tour here. This would be the uh, courtyard of the women because they could not go past this area right here. Uh, uh, this, this would be the place where the sacrifices were made. You can't really see down in there to see the altar, but the sacrifices were made in the area right there. This would be the holy place right here. And then at the back of it, this, this area back here would be the Holy of Holies. So maybe you've heard about the curtain that was hung between uh, the holy place and the, and the holy of holies. Uh, this would be right in this area right here. And then back here is where the uh, the Ark of the Covenant would have been. Um, the Ark of the Covenant with the two angels on the top. Uh, that was the mercy seat. Um, here you go. Show me, show me on the camera. Here you go. Two angels, their wings almost touching. Uh, the, the mercy seat was right above that. And so... Uh, Jewish folks believe that that's where God's presence always was in this area right here, and and so uh, check this out. If you, the, the the whole area of Temple Mount is about thirty seven acres. About thirty seven acres. Um, it's a there's a retaining wall that goes all the way around, so it's huge. A big courtyard. This would be the courtyard of the Gentiles over here, which is where most of us would have to stand. But uh, the retaining wall went down, I don't know, 50 or 60 feet. I could be off on that. But down this way, this would be the western wall right behind the temple right here. This would be the western wall. And you've seen this on the news because this is the place where Jewish people still come to this day to pray. So you see them up against this wall right here praying. And if you ever visit Jerusalem, that's where you'll end up uh, going to pray. And a lot of people put little... Pieces of paper with prayer requests on them in this wall. Not that there's anything magical about that because God is everywhere, right? God is everywhere. But uh, it's it's kind of a cool place. And the reason that they still pray right here is because this is as close. They can't get up on the Temple Mount anymore because it's uh, controlled by the Muslims. This is as close as they can get to the Holy of Holies. So it's as close as they can get, they feel like, to what is, was the presence of God back in the day. Now, one more thing that I want to show you. It's hard to, to get the scale of this. It just looks kind of like a shed. It doesn't look that big. But I'm going to do this with, uh, hopefully, here. If you go from about right here to right here, can you see my hands? From about right here to right here, that's a football field. That's a football field from here to here. So you imagine a stadium around this. This would be the football field right here. This is a massive, massive building. Give it up one more time for Jen for making this for us today. So, who built the temple? Jen did. Um, I'm kidding. Who built the temple? Herod built the temple. Herod built the temple. It was actually an upgrade from David's son Solomon, Uh, uh, the third king of Israel, had built the temple, uh, uh, but it was war-torn. It was uh, uh, kind of falling apart. Along comes Herod in in 20 B.C. and builds this and begins the process of building this magnificent temple, over-the-top amazing. One of the wonders of the ancient world, talked about by everyone back in the day. And uh, you can read Josephus, he's a, a Jewish historian, his description of the temple and how uh, you could see it from a long way off and how it was blazing white in the sun, except for the gold leaf that was on it would hurt your eyes as the gold you know, would shine in the sun. And, and I'm just telling you, an amazing, amazing place. But you think about it, why in the world would a Roman king build a Jewish temple? He could build anything, and he did build a lot of things, but why in the world would he use the time and resources to build a Jewish temple? Well, some people say it's because he had a trace of Jewish ancestry in his blood. So, And others say it's because he wanted to be all the way Jewish, but the Jewish leaders would not let him because he was such a vile human being. But the reason is, I believe, is that even though he was a bloodthirsty, power-hungry tyrant, he was clever. And since he was all about power and control, he knew he needed to keep his subjects at least semi-happy. And the most powerful people in Jerusalem at the time were the religious leaders. So keep them happy, you got everybody else. And the Jewish religious leaders begrudgingly were appreciative because they got to keep their control over the people using this magnificent structure. It was an unholy yet beneficial power structure used by Herod to control the masses. Now back to the text, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the christ or the messiah the anointed one was to be born so he reaches out to the jewish religious leaders who knew all of the prophecies about the messiah and and could probably recite a great number of those prophecies in fact that's exactly what happened uh, uh, with one of the prophecies about where jesus was to be born or where the messiah was to be born now It's from the book of Micah. We read it last weekend, and and by the way, we're going to read it again uh, on Christmas Eve. But it was written 700 years before this moment right here, and yet it's quoted. They quote it, and it's in the text in Matthew. So we could read it out of Micah. We could read it in Matthew. The question has been posed, where's the Messiah to be born? They told Herod, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Listen, all of the Jewish religious leaders knew exactly where Jesus was going to be born. They knew where the Messiah was going to be born. And he was there. He was there as they were having this conversation A little over a 10K run to the south, and they could have seen him too. He was the one that they were waiting for, but they missed him. You think about this. Jerusalem is the epicenter of the Jewish religion. Um, You got uh, 6,000 Pharisees who are based out of Jerusalem who knew all of the prophecies about the Messiah, You've got the religious festivals that took place that all pointed to the coming Messiah. You've got sheep out on the hillsides. We're talking just down the road in the area of Bethlehem. Sheep that were part of the temple flock that were there to be, they were born in Bethlehem to be sacrificed in Jerusalem, just like the Messiah. You've got the temple symbolizing the presence of God that would eventually come in human form as the Messiah. Everything in Jerusalem was to remind the people that the Messiah was coming. In fact, Jerusalem was, quite frankly, a city in waiting. They were waiting for this day. So how can a city waiting, how can a city that knows the prophecies, how can a city that Everything points to the prophecies and to the Messiah. How could a city that's waiting on the Messiah miss the Messiah when he finally comes? Because somewhere along the line, Jerusalem became a city that was all about control. And you think about it. When Herod heard it, he wasn't happy about it. He was troubled by it because he didn't want anybody else threatening his crown. When the religious leaders heard about Jesus, they didn't budge. Because they liked the control that they had over the people. They, they loved that control more than they loved God. Which is why, and you can check this in, in, in your Bible, in the, in the Gospels, the, 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 the record that we have of Jesus' earthly ministry. It was the religious leaders who were always giving Jesus problems. The religious leaders who wanted to kill Jesus. Why? Because they saw him as competition to their power. He was getting bigger crowds than they could get. People were leaving them and going and following after him. That's why they wanted him dead. And when we feel like we are the ones who have to be in control of everything, what happens to us is we take Jesus off of the throne of our hearts and we put ourselves there. And when, when we do that, we miss what God has for us. So how do we receive all that God wants us to receive? How do we experience all that God wants us to experience? How do we have all that God wants us to have? We get there by surrendering, by surrendering. Some of us are going to miss the joy of Christmas because we're so frustrated and angry trying to control the uncontrollable did you know that you can't control other people have you figured that out yet you can guilt them you can manipulate them you can coerce them but ultimately they just go back to doing whatever it is they wanted to do in the first place because you and I we cannot change another human being but you know who can God can. So what do you do? You surrender your control. You surrender that other person. You give them to God so that he can do what only God can do. Did you Did you know that you can't heal someone? You can't heal someone. You can find good doctors, and hopefully you, you will if, you, if that is needed in your case. You can make sure that the right medication is there. You can uh, do the, if it's you, you can uh, exercise or eat right or do whatever you're supposed to be doing. But ultimately, we can't heal. But you know who can? God can. So what do you do? You surrender that person or you surrender yourself to God. Have you figured out that you can't control world events? Figured that out? Some of you need to figure that out. You can, you can worry, you can fret, you can yell at the TV, but you cannot control the events of this world. So what do you do? You surrender your superficial attempts at control to God Almighty because, because ultimately he is the one who's in control. There are things around me over which I have little to no control, and I wish that were so different. But I have had to make a very personal and very difficult decision to let go. Maybe you've got a spouse that you've been trying to change. Surrender him to God. Maybe you've got a prodigal child that's been ripping your heart out. If you've been there or you're there now, it's agony. What do you do with that kid? What do you do with him? What do you do with him? You give him to God. You give him to God. Maybe you got somebody in your life that is ill. And if you're like me, because, because we love the people in our lives, we would do anything for them. Am I right about that? We would do anything for them. And so if you're like me, it would be like I, I would sell, sell the house, sell the vehicles, empty the bank accounts, empty the 401K, buy, it, buy a little trailer and put it on a lot somewhere and a little beater car to get around in. I would do, I would do that in a heartbeat if it would fix or help somebody in my life that I love. And you would too, probably. Let me tell you something I figured out, though. That person that you love so much that you would do anything for. God loves him more than you do. God loves it more than you do. You're like, I would give up everything. Well, guess what? God did because God loves it more than you. Let's just be honest. When we try to control what's really happening is we're taking God off of the throne of our hearts. And just like Herod and just like the religious leaders in Jerusalem, we miss what God has for us Because we're the ones trying to be in control. And that becomes even more problematic when it comes to our salvation. We don't get salvation. We don't get the salvation that Jesus came from heaven to this earth to give us if we try to obtain it on our own. The Bible clearly states it's not by our good works that we're saved, but only by the grace of God. So what do we do? We surrender our lives to him. The good, the bad, the ugly, we give it all to God. And we give him his rightful place on the throne of our hearts. The truth is for every single person in church today, every single person listening to me, somebody is sitting on the throne of your heart right now. Somebody's there. Is it Jesus? If it's not, then this is what's happening. You're trying to control. I'm saying today it's time to surrender. It's time to give your all to him. If you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, it's time to let go of control. It's time to let him be the one that's on the throne of your heart. Hey, guess what? Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. It's almost here. It's almost here. I don't want you to miss all that God has for you. I don't want you to be frustrated and angry and in turmoil in your life. I don't want you to be that kind of a person that thinks you got to work, work, work in order for God to love you. And you're trying to win your own salvation. Hey, give your life to him. Give your all to him and let Jesus do what only he can do. Surrender to Him and have a Merry Christmas. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Won't you stand with me, please? Now, today, if you need to make a decision for the Lord, there will be prayer partners down at the front of the room, and uh, they would... uh, be more than honored to uh, speak with you today and pray with you today. If you need to make a decision, if you want to rededicate, if you have just a prayer concern in your life, please don't leave without letting someone pray for your situation in particular. All right? Let's bow. God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. Thank you for your son who came to this world, who died in our place, who gave his all so that we could have all that you want us to have. And for someone today, Lord, who is holding on, trying to hold on to control of everything with a kind of a death grip in their life, I pray that today you would breathe life into them when when they let go and let you be the Lord of their lives. God, give us a good week. Help us to look to you and to your son. And to be able to celebrate Christmas the right way this year, Lord. And that is as one of your children. I pray this all in your son's name and all the people said. God bless, guys. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed the podcast, we encourage you to subscribe. Share it with friends and family or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.